Hi, well this week we're going to finish up the fifth chapter of Ephesians. We're going to look at one of God's primary expressions of his design in us. How is he communicated to mankind what we should look like? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, he's given us some ways of looking at it to help us visualize what he's talking about. And we're going to talk about that today. So let's jump into Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, being himself the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. For he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this cause, the Bible says, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife as he loves himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Now this passage, I think, has probably caused as much confusion and been misinterpreted probably more ways than we could count. But we need to look at something from the perspective of God's character because this is what this is all about. He is conforming us to his image and he never does anything out of character. You know, when it talked about in the very last verse from last week where it said, learning or being subject to one another in the fear of the Lord in verse 21 of chapter five, this idea of surrendering our will and coming other, under each other. If you look at the husband and wife relationship, which, by the way, is the picture. This is the great mystery. We talked about the mystery that was hidden in plain view a few weeks back. This mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, as Christ is formed in us, this mystery of two being one and such a unity between beings that neither one is fighting to get to the top. They're both kneeling to come under and lift the other up. Even in the very nature and character of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you see them exalting each other, lifting each other up, pointing out the beauty and the marvelous nature in each other. Rather than look at, all, look at me and you other two get out of my way. Okay, they show us what this unity is and he built that into us. When he made us in his image, it wasn't just an outward appearance. It's, a very, it's about our character and nature. 
And so the ability to be one with another is only possible when both parties, as in a husband and wife, or all the members of the body of Christ, as in a multi-membered single body, it's only possible when all the parts consider all the other parts valuable and care for them. You know, if I, if I don't think my feet are worth anything and I kick something and cut my toe and go, oh, well, you're just a dumb foot anyway. Who cares about you? And he gets infected. Well, it could kill the whole body if it gets an infection in my system. So what do I do? Well, I take care of my foot. Okay? And that's, that's what he's talking about. This is the body. Okay, so as the wife doesn't vaunt herself up to try to control her husband, and the, and the husband doesn't try to take some throne on high, but comes in and loves his wife as Christ loved the church, caring for her, lifting her up, and protecting her. As they two, both do that for each other, it's a beautiful thing. Now, the world we live in, I'm sure you've seen uh, married couples, some who probably fight a lot, and it's all about who's Who's in the most important here? Who's going to win? Who's on top? Who's going to make all the decisions here? And that's an ugly sight, usually. I've never seen it look pretty. And then there's other ones where it's just kind of one dominates and one one's, the other one's just sort of a, a doormat. Well, that's not very pretty either. They kind of get along a little better than the ones that fight all the time, but it's not what God intends. What he intended in their marriage relationship is that being made in his image that the husband and wife relationship would look just like the relationship between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Equal, loving, kind, respecting, protecting, nourishing, cherishing, all those kind of words, not dominating and humiliating or whatever the other person, uh, trying to Push your weight around. Always get your way. You know, again, when Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, that's a perfect picture of what makes a husband and wife relationship beautiful. Well, what do you do if both of you want to defer your will to the other? What happens is the two make a decision that's the culmination of the best of both points of view rather than one gets erased and the other one gets... Uh, all the accolades. <clears throat> Again, when Jesus said, I don't do anything of my own initiative, well, that's what a submissive life is. It's a life that says, you know, rather than me being self-determining, the one who has decided that I know best about everything, I'm going to listen to the one who does know best my Heavenly Father, and I'm going to defer my will to His. And I'm going to live that lifestyle because Christ lives in me and He is living that lifestyle in me. I'm going to live it in my earthly relationships. Does it mean let Him run over you? No. Does it mean we shouldn't be listening for voices that aren't consistent with the character of God? Oh, we need to listen for that and always go with what He says, not what they say. 
But in those body of Christ relationships with other believers, in that husband and wife relationship, it's there to exemplify the very nature and the character of God himself where we love and care for one another by serving one another, not trying to dominate and control each other. You see, in God's kingdom, it's not about who rules over who. Who do we rule? That's not what it's about. It's about who do we serve. We all serve somebody. We may be serving ourselves, which is probably the worst taskmaster of all, because self is never satisfied. And, And by self, I mean selfishness making myself more important than others. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love does not insist on its own way. Love is patient and kind, not arrogant or boastful, doesn't keep a record of wrong, doesn't insist on its own way. That's what love is. And love is what makes not just a marriage work, it makes all relationships work their best. So again, that's back to conformity to Christ in real time. It's about coming to that place in life where we no longer have anything to prove. God has lifted us up, given us an eternal name, seated us with the Christ in heavenly places, made us his child, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and we have plenty to give away, <clears throat> excuse me, and nothing to be gained from trying to extract resources from other people because we have all we need we have we can just liberally spread it around in first john 4 15 and 21 it says this whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god that's that one relationship we've been talking about verse 16 and we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him, remains, lives, stays in him. Verse 17, by this love is perfected, made mature and complete in us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. But the one who fears and the one who fears is not perfected or completed or mature in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's lying. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the command we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also so the more we get to know God the more we'll love our brothers if we're not loving someone there is something yet we don't know about God because the more we know him the more we trust him the more we trust him the more we're willing for to let his life his words his action be our life words and actions in the moments we live And so this whole Ephesians 5 we've talked about the last three weeks has been about being a child of light, being imitators of God, our Father, because he loves us so deeply and so richly that we don't need to be proving ourselves. 
We can be lifting each other up, the ones that are hurt, the ones that don't yet know who they are as a child of God, the ones who are lost and not children of God, who, to help them know they can become a child of God through receiving and believing in Christ and be, be made a, for, a joint heir with him. It's all about giving, all about distributing. The Bible says when Jesus came, he said he came to proclaim the year, the favorable year of the Lord, to set the captives free, to lift up the downtrodden and bind up the brokenhearted. That's why he came. And if that's who he is, that's who he is in you and me. If he lives there through new birth, and that's what he wants to continue to live and be through us. So again, the focus, when we see ungodliness, our focus is not to be on the ungodliness, but on the godly one and move towards him in the way we think and feel and choose to live our lives rather than moving towards the ungodliness we see, we see that we're tempted uh, to move towards. It's all about target attraction. The Bible says, set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated, not the things below, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then when he is revealed, you'll be revealed with him. Set your mind where? On Christ, the things above. The Bible says in another place, uh, we're transformed by the renewing of the mind. We're not to submit to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So it's all about our focus as far as our ability to, if you will, contribute to what God's doing in us. I can be sitting in the middle of a wonderful place, but my mind can be somewhere else. I've done it many times, and I'm having a miserable time in the midst of a beautiful place. Why? Because my focus is wrong. Rather than enjoying the benefits of where I am, I get all wadded up in the aggravation and hurt and pain of where maybe I used to be or where I'm afraid I might be. The target's wrong. The attraction is wrong. My focus is wrong. All right? So take that thought captive, the Bible says, to the obedience of Christ. Set your mind on the things above, not the things below. There's so many passages about setting our mind in the right direction. Well, it's not just... I got to stop that doing that bad and start doing that good. Set my mind on the one who is good. Set your mind on the one who is good, the one who loves you, the one who'll never leave you, the one who died for you and was buried and raised for you. And when you accepted him, he raised you up with him and seated you with him in heavenly places. And now he's helping you grow to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ as we look back, at, at, back in Ephesians chapter four. This is a great journey. And it is just that, a journey. None of us have finished yet. If we're still on planet Earth, we're still in the journey. We're still growing, we're still learning. Just like Paul said, not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, which means mature, but I, I press on. Okay, so it's all about the journey. And, you know, Paul was writing the Bible when he said that. The Holy Spirit was working in him, he was starting churches, he was teaching about the grace of God and the new covenant, but he said, I, I'm still growing, I'm not there yet. He knew he was saved, he knew he was righteous, but he wanted to come to maturity. He wanted to lay hold of the reason he was laid hold of. And we do that by focusing on the one who laid hold of us, the one who reached out and took a hold of us. And we focus on him. And that helps us not just avoid bad, although we will, it helps us do the good, to go in the direction that he's going and say the things that he's saying. Okay, well, let's pray. And we will start up with Ephesians chapter 6 next week. 
Father, thank you that you have said it in so many ways, through so many people, in so many books of the Bible, through your blessed Holy Spirit within us, you keep encouraging us in the way so that we don't get discouraged and lose heart. Thank you that you will never give up on us, that you'll never run off somewhere, that you're never too busy, you're always listening, and you're always encouraging and speaking and teaching. So help us to listen, to focus our attention on you rather than the other things around us that would distract us and slow our progress. Father, thank you that we don't have to ever worry that someday you'll get tired of trying to help us. You have submitted and committed yourself to us for all eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.